You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right, you guys can have a seat. I'm going to keep it simple today. You guys like simple? I'm kind of like simple guy, right? I'm PE teacher guy. Uh, it's been a... It's been a Last couple weeks in our text have been kind of heavier weeks, and so I'm kind of thankful for just a simple text this morning. Um, if someone asks you, what do you, what do you Christians believe? I mean, like, really? Like, you CBC people are weird, so what do you believe? Like, can you just boil it down? What makes y'all different than Hinduism and Buddhism and Judaism and all the isms and, and anything else? What, ma- what makes you guys, what you believe, different? Can, can you show me? Can, if they said, hey, can you just take this big box? This thing's intimidating, right? It's a lot of pages in this thing, right? Confusing. Some of you are intimidated by it. So could you take this open to just one, just give me one place in this massive book? It's like Webster's Dictionary, right? One place that just kind of summarizes what Christians believe. Could you do it? Where'd you go? Where would you go? You're like, oh, man, I don't know. Let's see, Ezekiel. I don't like that. Um, Malachi. Ooh, an Italian in the Bible. It's it's Malachi. It's not Malachi. Um, Where would you go? Where would you take him in the scripture? Uh, We're going to come to a passage today. I think this might be one of your passages, okay? There's, there's several you could go to, but I think this is one of the ones, if I were you, that I would say, hey, here's a, here's a story about Jesus and what he does, and this is a great summary, very simple, of what, what we believe, why we do what we do. And it's not, it's not going to unpack the Trinity for you and talk about creation and you're, you're, ooh, let's talk about Calvinism and the end times and predestination. Not going there, Right? It's just very simply what we're about, what we believe, right? And if you're here and you're a Christian, if you're looking for like four applications of what I should do this afternoon, then you need to go to another church because it's not here today, right? So if you're that guy, you're like, oh, I need something. I need this application. All right, sorry, next week. Uh, But if you just want to be refreshed with the simplicity of what we believe, just be reminded. Sometimes we just need to be reminded. You know, what I'll do every couple months is I'll get on YouTube and I'll type in, 19, I mean, 2008 World Series. 
and I'll just watch. They have like a 12-minute like summary of the whole thing, and I'll just get excited once again that my Phillies finally won the World Series uh, again for like the second time in 180 years or whatever they've been around, right? But it just, and I just watch it, and I'll smile, and I'll just get all excited for like five minutes, and it just refreshes me. This, this, this is what this should be for us. And if you're here and you're not a Christian and you got questions, then this is a great week for you to be here because hopefully some of those questions about Christianity will be answered. Not, you know, all the deepest, darkest secrets over the universe, but it's simply what do we believe as Christians? What do Christians really believe? What makes us different? So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Kind of a famous story. Not one of those stories you break into like four points. Here, here's the first point. And here's the second point. And when you break this story up or you try to overanalyze it, you miss the story. It loses its power. It loses kind of the enjoyment of, of what's going on. When I was in seminary and I was in my Trinitarian class, uh, I, one of the assignments was we had to write a paper on something in the media, right? And all these like nerds, I'll call them nerds, right? They said they wanted to write a paper on the theological motifs of the matrix. And I'm like, really, y'all? Can't you just watch the movie and watch Neo go all crazy and buck wild and enjoy it? You got to pick it apart and ruin the movie, right? And some people just want to kind of do that with, with texts like this. Well, let's talk about all these. I just want to read through the story, kind of give some cultural high points because there's a little bit of differences culturally going on here. And then at the end, just kind of highlight why I think this story is a great summary of what we are, of what we believe at its simplest form, all right? Um, so, so let's do that. We're going to do that, and then we're going to celebrate Lord's Supper together. It's just kind of a great culmination um, of what's going on. So let me jump right in. Verse 36. Maybe, maybe not. Verse 36. Uh, there it is. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. All right, and some of you, you, you grew up in the church, so you hear Pharisee and you hear bad guy, and I get that, right? You're immediately like hear Darth Vader's song, dun, dun, and it's bad, you know, they're about to go down right? Pharisees and Jesus. And that is kind of true for the most part. But remember, these guys weren't always bad. They were the one who kept the nation straight for a long time. At this point, it had been corrupted. But also remember this, many of these guys become followers of Jesus, number one. And number two, Jesus does not cut himself off from the Pharisees. He is eating at this guy's house and he is reclining at his table. Okay. And so that, that in itself is weird. All right, so the way they ate was different than the way we eat. Don't think Da Vinci, again, David talked about this a few weeks ago, Da Vinci's Last Supper where Jesus is like, can you pass the salt, please? Give it, it's not that. What they would do is they would lay on their, probably their left side on these pillows around the table, and then they would they'd kind of hang their feet out the back, and then they would kind of reach across with their right hand, and they're kind of laying around. They would literally recline Laying down. It would look something like this, actually, okay? This is, this is typical of what they would be doing, right? So you can do this when you go home, get on your mom's couch, everyone, and eat a bowl of cereal, <laughs> right? Hot dogs with ketchup on it, right? But that's how they ate. And you're like, that's kind of weird. That's not the only thing that's weird. Another thing that's weird is the fact that when a portent, an important guest would go to someone's house in that day, like Jesus coming to the Pharisee, it was like an open forum. You could just go into the house, and you kind of stand along the edge of the house and you just be able to listen and watch them eat, which is really weird. Do you like people watching you eat? Right? But that's what they would do. And so they would kind of get, and so people would kind of go into this guy's house and stand around the edge when Jesus is kind of laying down eating bread and these guys are all talking. 
That's weird, I get it. You know what also is weird, just, just, just a side note? You taking a picture of your dessert and putting it on social media. That is weird. Because <laughs> no one really cares. And in 50 years, people are gonna look back and be like, do you believe how self-centered our great-grandparents were? Because, I mean, they were taking pictures of their food and putting it on social media. So just, just because this seems weird, that's weird too. Just a highlight for you. That's an application for you if you wanted it. All right? Verse 37, what happens? And behold, no, this word behold is like see, look. Luke wants you to see what's going on. So he draws you in. A woman of the city who was a sinner. That's code word for a woman of the night. A, the world's oldest profession, right? That's, that's what he's talking about. She walks in. When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she, she walks into this deal. Now, can you imagine, this picture in modern days, country town, uber conservative, Bible belt, everyone goes to the same church, everyone knows everybody in this town, and on Thursday night, they got Bible study, and into the Bible study walks the woman everyone knows is having an affair. The, the girl who's been living with every guy in town. The, the girl who left town to go get in the adult film industry and now she's back. What's the response gonna be when she walks into the Bible study? It's gonna be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe she's here. Take that 10,000 times and go back in this culture where women were looked down upon. They weren't even allowed at the table. They were seen as property. And here is a woman who is... She is known by this town for what she is. And she comes into the room. And, and Luke wants you to see her. He wants you to see her. See her hands shaking as she nervously walks in. As she has her head down because she knows everyone's talking and everyone's whispering. And she doesn't look up. He wants you to see her. See her brokenness. See how she is considered filthy and dirty and despised and feel the tension in the room. Can you see her? And she brings with her this alabaster flask of ointment. It's, the word is muron. It's the word we, we translate myrrh. It's a very expensive perfume. And it's in this kind of flask that you would use one time. You'd break it and it would be done. It's a one time only, right? She brings it in with her, very expensive, especially for, for someone of her profession. And standing behind him at his feet, now remember, his feet are kind of hanging out the back, right, because he's laying on his side. And, and, and just so you know, you know, feet are kind of nasty today, feet were really nasty then, because they're all wearing, you know, chacos, okay, open-toed chacos, walking through dust-filled streets where all the animals do number two, and so they're stepping in it, and it's all over their feet, and it's on their toenails, and it's all in between their feet, yeah, eat some more grapes, eat some lamb chops, nasty feet, right, so, so that's what's going on, understand the feet were the nastiest piece here, right, and she comes up and just falls apart. She falls at his feet and she's weeping uncontrollably. So many tears that she's able to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And this is very cultural too because a, a Jewish woman did not let down her hair. 
It was a very private, personal thing. They would keep it up and they would keep it hidden. And, and, and if you were mar- getting engaged and married, the first time an engaged married couple, the first time he would see her with her hair down would be inside the wedding chamber. It was that personal. It was that private. And so she just, in humility and in brokenness, just lets her hair down. She's just open and transparent and she's washing his nasty doo-doo feet with her hair and anointing it with this expensive eternity for women, right? And no one is eating anymore. Nobody. All they're doing is staring and talking. So verse 39 Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he's watching. His mind starts running, and he says in his mind, if this man were a prophet, and he uses what's in the Greek called a second-class condition, which is a a contrary-to-fact condition. That's real fancy for saying he doesn't believe it's true. So what he's saying is, if this man was a prophet, and he is not, that's the assumption. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. His logic is actually pretty sound from his perspective. If this guy, i.e. Jesus, is truly a spokesman for God, then he would know God. He would know God is holy. He would know that she is not. And since God is holy and hates sin and she is not, he would not be letting her touch him, even his nasty feet. That's his logic. God is holy, he's up there. She is not, there's this big gap. So if he was really a spokesman from God, he must not be because he wouldn't be associating with her, right? So it's, it's actually, from his perspective, good logic. It's kind of the same logic, before we get too harsh on him, where some of us are like, when we do something wrong, when we sin, when we rebel, when, when we feel just guilt, what do we do? We hide and we run. Why? Because we realize there's this gap. And so I, I did this thing again, so I can't come to church. Bill, I haven't been to church for a couple weeks, I, you know. And so I just figured I just need to get myself cleaned up, and then I could come back, as if, like, the lightning's going to strike you when you walk on those bricks out there. Right? Or, I, you know, if I do something bad, I got to do something good to kind of clean myself up. I got to do, like, four quiet times for every curse word. So I've, I'm, like, way behind. Right? I got, like, 300 quiet times before I can come to church again. Right? It's this mentality that I have to get clean because God is so holy. And there is a point, it is true that God is holy, but what he misses and what we miss when we have that perspective is the nature and character of God that he pursues sinners. So, so he's having this internal debate in his mind, and I love what Jesus does. It says, and Jesus answering. He's, I love that wording because he didn't ask an outside question, did he? He's talking to himself, but Jesus is going to answer him. You're going to lose when the guy reads your mind and starts answering your questions. Okay, you're just gonna lose that debate. So Jesus answers and says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Right, maybe he thinks, this is why we're here. We're gonna talk theology. Let's talk four or five point Calvinism. Let's talk this, let's debate the law. Yes, say it, teacher, say it. Speak. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. A denarii is one day's wages for your average labor, right? So one guy, he owns, he owes basically two years of debt. The other guy is about two months. Okay, there's kind of a big disparity, right? He says, when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, underline that phrase, that's the key. When they could not pay, right? Now, which of them will love him more? 
right? He says, okay, one guy owes two months, one guy owes two years. When neither could pay, he cancels both. Which, who's going to be excited? Who is going to be excited when he cancels the debt? The answer is both, right? Someone comes to you and says, I want to going to pay off your car payment. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be happy. You can do that if you want, right? Pastor Appreciation Month's not until October, but that's okay. <laughs> that's great news. But if someone comes and pays off your house, whoa, that's life-changing, isn't it? That can change the, the, the direction of your life. Both are happy, right? And, but he asked him, which, now which one will love him more? Simon, which one's going to love him more? And Simon, it says, he, he answered, it, I, I suppose, and, and the word is like begrudgingly, he's like, well, I guess, for whom we cancel the larger debt, right? He said, bingo, Yahtzee, right? You have judged rightly, yes, that is true. That is, that is, that is true. But here, here, understand this. The point of the story is not who is the bigger sinner, Okay, because that's where we, oh, yeah, she, she's a big sinner. He's talking about her. She's prostitute, and he's a holy man. So she, he's a bigger sinner. That's not the point of the story. The point is neither could pay. That's the point. It doesn't matter if you can't, can't pay your house payment or your car payment. If you can't pay it, you can't pay it. That is the point, right, that both had a debt they could not pay. And so now he applies it to him. He says, he, he turns to the woman, and you can just see it. He's laying there. He turns to the woman. It's like he's pointing. Do you see this woman? That's a silly question, isn't it? Everyone has been staring for the last 30 minutes. Uh, No, I didn't notice her, man. I was eating over here talking about, you know, the football game. I didn't notice what she was doing. Really? He says, no, do you see her? I really see her. He's going to contrast them. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet customary in that day, even just for like a normal guest, even if you don't have one of your servants wash their feet, which would have been showing respect, you at least put like the bucket out that grandma used to put, you know, when you come in from the beach and you just kind of put your feet in, you wash them off, you at least do that. He didn't do even do that. He says, you didn't do that. She has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She's got nastiness in her hair right now. You wouldn't even put a bucket out. You gave me no kiss, just a common greeting, cheek to cheek. Common courtesy, it's like a handshake. You didn't even shake my hand. She has not ceased to kiss my nasty, dirty, walking around and donkey doo-doo feet. It's not in the text, it's my translation. (laughs) You did not anoint my head with oil. And, And oil then was like common. Olive oil, it was cheap. You can get it at the Dollar General. No big deal. He said, you didn't put no soul glow on my hair. Bad movie reference. <laughs> she has anointed my feet with ointment, which was expensive. Oil is cheap. You could have got a dime a dozen. She has taken something valuable, expensive, used one time only, and she has done this. Good contrast, right? And then, and here's, the, here's his point, verse 47. Therefore, and whenever you see the therefore, what do you ask? What is therefore? Well, all three of you, thank you, right? Whenever you see the therefore, you ask what is therefore. So he's making a point. Therefore, I tell you, 
her sins, which are many. Don't you love that line? He's not self-peddling it. He's not covering it up. He's not shifting blame. Well, she's had a hard life and, you know, she got a bad deal and, and it's just another lifestyle and blah, blah, blah. He's saying, no, she's got sin. She's got a ton of it. He's exposing it. I'm not arguing with the amount of sin in her life, but her sin is forgiven. Forgiven. And it's a tense, in the, ver- the verb in the Greek, that's, it's a past tense with future implications. Her, her sins are gone and they will always be gone. Why? Because she, it's, she loved much. But he who for, is forgiven little loves little. He is not saying, understand, she loves me, therefore her sins are forgiven. That's not what he's saying. Now that she's washed my feet, now that she's got her hair all nasty, now she is forgiven. No, no, this is the result Her love is a result of her already being forgiven. She is expressing love. Why? Because she's been forgiven so much. He's not saying you want to have your sins forgiven, wash some feet, love some people. No, no, no. This is all a result of her being forgiven, right? And that's the point of the parable. She, as a result of forgiveness, has loved God. And y'all, this is why they killed Jesus, ultimately, Because what he is saying to this Pharisee who spends all day in church and all day reading his Bible and all day praying and all day fasting and all day giving is, she loves God more than you. That's what he's saying. Which is shocking to this guy. She loves God. How do I know? She's been forgiven. She's been forgiven. And he he twists the knife because Jesus knows how to twist the knife. Right? He says, he looks at her, everyone's looking at her, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Same tense, past tense with future implications. Your, it's okay, your sins are, are gone, forgiven. And now everyone's talking. Those who were at the table with him begin to say, who is this? How can he say that? Who is he forgiven sins? We've seen this before. Only God can forgive sins, and they are right. Only God can forgive sins. Right, so for those who ever, Jesus never claimed to be God, he never claimed ever to be God, wrong-o. He receives worship, he forgives sins. Two things only God can do, right? He makes no hesitation about it. Your sins are forgiven. And then he looks at her and he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Not her tears, not her coming boldly into the room, not her loving God, not her washing feet. It's not those things that saved her. Those are a result. Your faith has saved you. Now go. Go in peace. And that's how it ends. I would love to have been there for dessert. So what's for dessert there, Simon? You can imagine how it went after that. No, this is, this is the heart of what we've been seeing in this, te- in, this, in this book. This is the heart of Fallen Rising, right? That the theme that we've been talking about, that the, o- the one in the room who seemed like she was the greatest sinner, the most wicked person in the room, the one that you would think is the furthest from God is actually the one who is closest. 
And the one that you think is closest, the guy that you would trust, you know, this is the guy, y'all, you would, you would have him babysit your kids and, and you would have him teaching Sunday school and he would be the, the community group leader and all those things. This guy who you think is so close to God is actually far and he leaves not having had his sins forgiven. It's the heart of what's going on in this book, right? And, and back to the very beginning, the simple, what do we believe? What do, what do Christians believe? Let me, let me give you just a couple thoughts how this just kind of highlights, it gets cuts, to the, cuts to the core of who we are and what we believe. Three simple truths. Number one is that Jesus pursues and forgives sinners. Pretty simple, right? But profound. The heart of what we believe is that man, because of his sin, is separated from God. And here's the key. And we can do nothing about it. You have a debt you could not pay. The point is not how big your debt or how small. I'm like, oh, you know, some of you, you grew up in church and you never remember a day where you have not believed that God is, you know, Jesus is the son of God and all those things. You were baptized at like three weeks in the, out of the womb and that's great. You don't even remember a time. Others of you, your life, you smell, you like, smell like the street like this little bit, lady. But the point is not how great or small the, your sin is. The point is you couldn't pay the debt. Right? And it's always easier to identify those people that are more wicked than us, right? I mean, you're like, oh, well, at least everyone goes back to poor Hitler. Oh, at least I'm not as bad as Hitler. Right? Ah, oh, yeah, he's really wicked. He deserves it. But you know, I'm pretty good. So, so, but we, we make that big drastic. But if you've got kids, you've seen this. You've got more than one kid. If you only have one kid, that doesn't count. All right? But you've got more than one kid, and you're like, hey, what's going on here? I see this. One of the first things out of their mouth was, yeah, but you didn't see what happened yesterday because, you know, he did this and it was much worse than what I just did. We, that's the nature of what we're, that's, that's Simon. And, and that may be true. That, that may have been worse, but the point is you have a debt you could not pay. Right? You, I, Tommy Nelson used to tell the story when he spoke at chapel one time. Just... Clearly identifying this kind of principle. Imagine you have a man who breaks into a house and he, and he kills a family member. He kills one of the child children in the house and he is arrested and he's put in prison for the rest of his life. And after 10 years, the family goes to visit him in, in prison. And he says, hey, could you talk to the parole board about letting me out? I mean, ever since I've been in here, I've gotten every year the best, you know, best behave prisoner award and I mop and I clean really good and I've been washing the walls and the windows and so could you go to the parole board would you guys be okay with that <laughs> and the answer would be you know no it's great that you're taking care of this place but but you can't bring back our child that's a debt that you can never pay off we had a debt to a holy God that we could not pay off. And because we could not pay it off, the heart of Christianity says that Jesus paid the debt. He paid it for you. You couldn't pay it, so he paid it for us. He lives the perfect life you could not live. He dies as a substitute in your place for what you deserve so that you could be forgiven. And so Colossians says this, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having what? Forgiven us of all our trespasses. How? Canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with his legal demands. How did he do it? He set it aside. He nailed it to the cross. 
That's, that's, that's what we believe. Jesus paid it all. We do choose our songs sometimes in light of the passage. And understand, there's this kind of a false narrative in, in Southern Christianity that Jesus comes to make you good people. That's what Jesus comes for. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, as Ravi Zacharias says. He came to make dead people alive. Okay, that's why he came. And here's the beauty of it for you. He came for you. He chose you. He pursued you. He wanted you. That's, that is the amazing truth. As, as sinful and broken and as much as you rebelled and rejected him, he came for you and he paid off more than a car or a house. He paid your eternal debt so you could live forever with him. But the kicker is, you got to understand that you are sinful. That's, isn't that Simon's problem? He doesn't see his need and so he misses it. That's why Jesus says, blessed are the poor, right? Poor in spirit. Is this woman poor in spirit? Yeah. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Is she mourning? Crocodile tears. She gets it. And so she's on the rise. Simon doesn't, so he is on the fall. But what we believe ultimately, simply is that Jesus forgives sinners, period. That's what he does, simple. Second thing we believe is this, that we are saved by faith. That your, what did he say? Your faith has saved you. Y'all, this, what you gotta understand, and I don't know how new you are to church, whatever, that no other religion in the world has this. Do you understand? This is completely radical and unique to every other religion, whether it's atheism, which is kind of a religion in itself, or secularism, or Hinduism, or Buddhism, or Islam, or Judaism, or all the other isms. This is completely unique. All those other faiths teach you got to do something to get to God. You got to, you know, whether it's give your whole life and, and, and blow yourself up, or be good and kind and do all these things, somehow you get to God. Somehow you earn your, your way. And Christianity says you cannot earn your way. Can't be baptized, can't go to church, can't do Bible study, can't jump through some other spiritual hoop. You can only do one thing, that is believe. Man is made right with God through his faith, faith alone. And this is what Romans 5 says. Therefore, since we have been justified or made right, how? By faith. We have what? Peace. Isn't that what he just said to this prostitute? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. It's, it's consistent throughout. That it's not faith in what you can do or what you have done. It is faith alone in what God has done to save you. And when you do that, here's, here's the beauty. It's not just that God forgives your sins. That is true and that is good. But in the courtroom of heaven, God looks down at you and doesn't just say, yeah, I forgive you. That is part of it. But he also looks down and says, innocent, not guilty, righteous. It's not just he takes it away. That's great. He actually says that you are righteous, that you are perfect, that you are good. Well, how can God do that? Because he made him who knew no sin 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When you put your faith in Christ, it's not just your sins are forgiven, that that, that they're put on Christ, you get his righteousness. He gets your sin, you get his righteousness. That's a pretty good deal. So that he looks at Bill Fowler as sinful and wretched and as rebellious as I've been in my life and I will be tomorrow. And he says, righteous, clean, pure, holy. How can he do that? Only because of Jesus. That is what it means to put your faith in just that, in that simple truth, Christ died, right? It's simple. Jesus forgives sins. We are saved by faith. And here's the last piece, is that then we respond with love and worship, which is exactly what she does. Why are you here? Besides the fact that it's the South. We respond to what God has done, forgiving us, saving us by faith, with love and worship, not to earn it as a, as a response. Simon is not caught up in what Jesus is doing because he's never experienced forgiveness of sins. And his life reflects it. He's just ticked off. The woman, she is so completely enthralled. It's as if she doesn't even know everyone else is in the room. Kind of ever see that? Where she just like, she doesn't even realize all this is going on. She is just having this, this one-one with her savior. She's so enamored with his grace and love. You remember that scene in Elf, Buddy the Elf? Okay, very spiritual movie. Um, so he walks into the room, Buddy the Elf, and he starts spinning around and he says, I'm in love and I'm in love and I don't care who knows it. Right? And then he gets beat up. But that idea of I'm in love and I'm in love and I don't care who knows it, that is very biblical. Is that you, if you are enamored with what God has done, it, it shouldn't matter what other people are thinking around you, right? I mean, this woman, she, her worship is costly and passionate and, and it's just meaningful and emotive. I know, that, I know in the Christian church, you kind of grew up in the church, especially in certain denominations, which I won't mention, but I'll tell you secretly, privately later. Uh, emotion is bad, Oh, no, we don't want to be emotive. Is love not kind of emotional? If you get married, you're like, I love you, but I'm not emotional about you. How's that going to fly? You're not going to be married, which is probably why some of y'all are single. All right, just kidding. There's an emotive piece to worship, and it's okay. Right? If, if, if you're just, oh, no, I don't know, I love God with all my heart and soul and mind and strength, right? There, there, she is passionate. And it says she loves much because she was forgiven much. And if you want to know whether you love much or you love little, real quick, just look at your worship. Just look at your worship, right? And you can make excuses all day. Well, you know, I'm tired in the morning and blah, blah, blah. Look at your worship. Jesus says those who love little have been forgiven little. Those who love much have been forgiven much. Look at how you sing. And I know as a man, we're like, oh, I don't sing. You know, I don't do this, right? I'm not, we're not asking you to do a jig down front. But I mean, those who have been forgiven much are, are passionate about that. Right? They're caught up in what God's... You've ever been caught up? I mean, just your favorite secular song. You're in the car, and all of a sudden, you're just singing, top of your lungs. You're like, Ario Speedwagon's the jam. And you're like, oh, I can't fight this feeling. And you're your hands up in, in traffic. 
There's something passionate about that for you. Maybe you're 70s and you're going back, whatever. But there's an emotive peace and you're not afraid to sing in the car, right? Just look at your worship. Look at your obedience. Is, it, is, are, is there something you're like, well, you know, I don't know if I can do that, Jesus. That's a little bit too much. You're asking a little bit too much there. Serving people, giving to people, sacrificing to, for people. That's a little bit too much. That's a little bit much of a burden for me. I don't know if I can do that. John says, this is the love of God. We keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. If you have felt the magnitude of your sin off you, is there anything that's too big that God would ask you to do? Anything? I mean, if you love him? Just some thoughts for us, again. How do you worship? Is, is there anything in your life that people could identify you as a worshiper of God? Really? Right. Th- think about this, and we'll close with this. I thought about this this week. What are you gonna do when you see Jesus? I mean, really? Because you will. Whether you're a believer or whether you're not a believer, you will see Jesus. What are you going to do that first time I'm not a big crier, right? I'm not the emotive guy on staff. There's others of those. I think I've cried at two movies in my life. Up, because everyone should cry it up because there's no reason that that's upset. And it's a wonderful life. I, I don't know why, I just love that. And Clarence gets his wings. It's not biblical, but it's so beautiful. <laughs> but I can't imagine that, I can't imagine that if I, when I see the Savior, when I stop seeing in a mirror darkly, as Paul says, and I see him face to face, and I see behind him the glories of heaven, which I will enjoy forever, I can't imagine I don't fall at his feet like this woman. I hope that I have the passion of her. Right? And you say, well, there's no crying in heaven. Nah, that's not true. It says he will wipe away every tear. I, 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 well, picture that day. The, the grace and the love that he has shown you. It'll be a glorious day, y'all. And we can have a little taste of that now. Ethan was right when he said it earlier. Something special about the people of God, forgiven by Jesus, coming together and worshiping, not as perfect people, but as forgiven saints, right? It's something special. What do we believe? Very simply, we believe Jesus forgives. We believe we're saved not by our works, but by our faith in Christ's finished work. And what do we do? We respond with love and worship. Real simple, right? But profound. We're gonna celebrate the table this morning. Um, If you are a follower of Christ, if you have put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, we invite you to celebrate this table with us. It doesn't matter if you're a member of our church or not. But we do ask that during just, we're gonna have a time of reflection that you would just kind of, Search your heart, and, 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 and Scripture tells us that we ought to take it in a, a worthy manner. It doesn't mean you are worthy, okay? That's not the point. The point is, if you're harboring sin, if you're harboring resentment, if, you, if you're in this major conflict with this other Christian over here and you cannot get along, it says you need to abstain because that's drinking it in an unworthy manner. So this is about the oneness and the unity of the people of God under the, the body and the blood. And so for you to kind of say, well, it doesn't matter, is to take it unworthily. And so spend some time, 
we'll give you some time to kind of think and reflect. And the men are going to hand out the elements. And, and when you are ready today, just after some time of reflection, when you are ready, you take there in your seat. I'm not going to come back up because we're going to let these guys just work, lead us in worship. Uh, but as you hold that bread, remember the body of Christ. I mean, take a look at the bread. It's unleavened. Leaven represents sin in scripture. Jesus was sinless. It's, it's pierced like his body was pierced. It's, it's kind of got some bruising to it, like Jesus' body was bruised for you. The lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. And as you drink the cup, remember that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Your forgiveness is based not on just a perfect life Jesus lived, but the shed blood of Christ, the lamb of God that he took your place, that he atoned for your sin, and he came out of the grave. So just remember those things, and then we'll sing. And sing like you love God. And you guys do a great job. I'll slam the 11, 1045 service, because they stink, but you guys are good. Let me pray, and we'll celebrate the table together. Father, I thank you for your son, for the forgiveness of sins, for the hope in Christ. For those here who are just struggling with life right now, may they be refreshed with the truth of the gospel. For those who have questions and doubts, may they also be refreshed with the power of the gospel that Christ dies for sinners and he rose, rose again, being declared the son of God in power. Just be, be pleased, Lord, as your church worships you. Uh, be glorified in that. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.